Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. So on today's show, we have Benita Lee. She is a trades compliance expert. She's actually our first international guest, sort of. She's from Canada, but she was uh, living in Houston at the time, and, and now she's relocated to Minnesota. But she is all things trade compliance. And with the latest election results here in the U.S., she's she's mentioned, I know on LinkedIn, she's talked about the impact that's going to have on things like NAFTA. So if this is an area in your company, if it's a risk to your company, it would be something to consider for sure. And definitely follow Benita on LinkedIn. Outside of just trade compliance, that's not all she just talks about. She's a she's what I would say is a good follow on LinkedIn. You learn a lot um, of various things uh, from what she puts out there. So a good one to follow for sure. On this episode, so we talk about what NAFTA is, we talk about the risk of not being NAFTA compliant, uh, some non-compliance use cases, and also, you know, what's the risk in the audit world or what's the risk that we should be addressing and, and kind of paying attention to. I'll be honest, one reason I had Benita on, I think we talk about it in the show, is it's not an area that I'm familiar with. There, I've been in a lot of companies doing external audit and consulting and things like that, and it's I've never heard it mentioned. And maybe I just haven't been at the, those companies where it exists, but something that I think we should probably pay attention to and something I want to shine a little bit of a light on. Um, some interesting notes from the show. We talk about how to get Coke over the border, which I thought was interesting. And uh, this features this episode features classic lines such as, hey, that's my salmon, not yours. And we also talk about diluent, diluent, D-I-L-U-E-N-T, which is also a new word to me. So a lot to learn from this one. I don't know if you can pick it up from the audio. Certainly if you watch the, the video or if you, you know, saw us do it live, Benita has this like fantastic dry sense of humor that really like it cracked me up listening to it, uh, even listening back to it. I don't know, it's my kind of humor for sure. Um, if you want a little taste of it, if you don't have time, I would recommend the last like five, eight minutes of the show where Benita tells a, a funny trade compliance story, which I didn't even know existed. So I enjoyed this one. I hope you guys do too. Thank you very much for listening. Here we go. So like even, so we're talking about NAFTA is the example we're going to use, but you refer yeah. to it as any kind free, of free trade agreements. Right. So yes, you'll hear me talk about FTAs all the time, like Friday, free trade Fridays. 
FTAs. So FTAs are free trade agreements. Each, each country has its own with other countries. So basically, and then the higher umbrella is the World Trade Organization. Okay. And what you're saying is these free trade agreements are basically contracts between countries. And part of what you do is? Ensure that the companies that are using them are eligible for them in the first place. Okay. And if you are, if you're using them and you're not eligible, what's the risk there? You can get into trouble. I mean, you can get audited just like you can get audited for financial transactions. You get audited for trade transactions and all of your data has been submitted to customs authorities. So it's all there. So, all right. So do people just not adhere to the, the rules within the contract? Is that kind of where people get busted? Like, or I wouldn't imagine somebody's just kind of off the cuff thinking, oh yeah, we can get away with doing this without being part of the agreement. Is that right? Well, maybe on a higher level, we should think of it as legislation. Okay. So if you're going to use it in your transactions, then you must have it written between like your, the parties that you're transacting with. And then further than that, the government can come into your house and audit you and any other counterparties that are using the NAFTA in their contracts. Can you kind of um, uh, relate that to something in your field? Yeah. I mean, I know just within like audit itself, we look at contracts and are the um, terms being adhered to and things like that. So that's what I think it's something that audit should be considering. And that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on was to kind of understand what the risk is and what industries typically adhere to this. So people listening and they're thinking, okay, this might be something I need to look into what kind of industries uh, would this be applicable to? Yeah, I mean, huge. Um, like the biggest ones, I can, like the, the whole reason why NAFTA exists was uh, back in the day, um, in the 90s, remember there was the softwood lumber issue. There was like um, law of the sea and like, Hey, that's my salmon, not yours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, in your waters, you know, because I mean, the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans are like, you know, who controls the waters? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone remembers stuff with lumber, and then there was the auto, the auto disputes, and then like with Mexico, um, there was the Macchiadoras when like um companies fled from like i remember like california tomato growers do you remember that i'm an 80s kid so i don't know oh. <laughs> um well the 90s are just after that so you should have been <laughs> you should have been a teenager like me math lessons here too yeah go ahead yeah so um i mean the whole reason that this nafta agreement exists is because those industries like the most controversial industries that we know of auto lumber maritime um agriculture steel 
are all hugely impacted, right? I mean, these are the, the resources of countries that we're talking about, like the most highly guarded things. Right. So these, these trade agreements, what do they say or what do they allow for, not allow for? What's the purpose of them? Um, well, at, in the 90s, the purpose of them were to eliminate the barriers. So for every good that you trade across the borders, so you import or you export, there's a duty involved. So a duty is like a tax. Um, and they're applied when they enter a country so that the country can protect their own industry. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the paragraph version that you would learn in school. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, all right. So something that would probably help then is a, like a use case or an example of like non-compliance within these right. free trade agreements. So is there, or, uh, oh, did, I did I mention petrochemicals? You did not mention petrochemicals. Well, I don't know why I didn't mention petrochemicals. I mean, about petrochemicals. Yeah. I mean, petrochemicals is probably what's cut my teeth in the way of NAFTA because, um, um, I was poached from the company that I was working for for 15 years to go to a um, an oil major because they were they had just underwent a NAFTA audit by the U.S. authorities, um, and in the oil industry there is a transportation liquid called diluent. Diluent. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. Like when oil comes out of the ground, it's not in a uh, form that it can move freely through pipelines or trucks or rail, right? Okay. They need to mix it with a transportation liquid and the, the Americans call it diluent and the Canadians call it condensate. Okay. Um, this transportation liquid is traded like any other good, like on the commodity exchange. And the way that you qualify for NAFTA, of course, is that you purchase it from a NAFTA participating country. So there's only three, US, Mexico, Canada. If you didn't buy your product from those three, you cannot claim NAFTA, mm -hmm. right? Right. But because, because NAFTA stands for? North American Free Trade Agreement. There we go, okay. That's the acronym, right? And it's arguably the most overused word in the trade community by politicians, analysts, and so-called experts in the last four years, wouldn't you say? It's literally the only free trade agreement uh, word or acronym that I know. Right. I mean, think about that. The U.S. has like 14 trade agreements with um, really high-profile players in the global um, setting. And the, the fact that we only use NAFTA as a household word, I mean, it says it all. And it's not even called NAFTA anymore, right? <laughs> it's um, the, the modernization of NAFTA is now called um, USMCA by the Americans, and then an accord by the Canadians, and then the El Tratado by the Mexicans. 
Well, what would a what would a regulation uh, be if we didn't change the name of it every couple of years, right? Right. Yeah, this one hasn't been changed for 25 years. But um, what people forget, I think, is that you're still going to be audited on a NAFTA basis for the next five years. Mm -hmm. Now, this new agreement came into force July 1st, 2020. That doesn't mean that everyone that's been using NAFTA right now is free and clear. Like, at any time, um, if the U.S. authorities, the Canadian authorities, or the Mexican authorities thought they should do an audit, you'd have to have five years of methodology and process documentation, compliance manual in place. And if you didn't, I mean, the rules of the old NAFTA would still apply to you and you could be fined as such. I mean, it can be um, double the duty that you would have paid. So the NAFTA avoids duty. Mm -hmm. So in trade transactions where there was a duty that was to be applied, NAFTA avoids it. Okay. So having your NAFTA documentation avoids paying the duty. However, as an auditor, you know that you need to have the documentation. So there's a lot of players out there um, that are not sophisticated enough to have a NAFTA plan, a NAFTA strategy, um, and their methodology and their formula, their formulas in place, or an inventory management system. I mean, it works the same way as it does for accountants like LIFO and FIFO. Mm -hmm. It all matters. Yeah. Right. Well, I have a question. If because I've worked with like a lot of internal audit departments, I've been in a lot of internal audit departments, and this risk is one that is new to me. So if it is something that, you know, if there's a company that has a NAFTA agreement, who is the person, and I'm in internal audit, who is the person that I can go talk to in my company about NAFTA? Oh, great question. Great question. I mean, it's going to depend, right? Um, in a company that's not sophisticated, they're not going to have a trade compliance professional. They're not going to have a custom specialist, right? And you end up going having to go to the supply chain. <laughs> and you know how it is when someone from audit or finance goes to talk to supply chain. Yeah. Right? There, you need to have a translator. <laughs> <laughs> so is there like a a job title that would we could be on the lookout for or is or is more like, and more there's chief compliance officers okay so our compliance office should be fully aware of all things uh nafta or free trade related where could they start from an audit perspective and looking at nafta compliance What's maybe one of the biggest areas or biggest risks they should think through? Like we need to make sure I'm an internal audit. We need to make sure relative to NAFTA that we have this thing in place or these things in place. Yeah. So I would go um, into the system or to the broker and get the data. Um, you could potentially have 
a person that just understands how to get the data from customs. I mean, it's your data, you own it. And people forget that, right? People forget they own their data that they're sending to customs. Yeah. Um, but you own it. So a person like you, a data analytics guy that has an audit background would be so useful in the case that there was a, um, maybe the company was um, under scrutiny. And a lot of times, Trent, they don't know it because these letters come out like a CF 28 or a CF 29. They come from the customs authorities. They end up at the wrong place. They end up at the wrong place because let's face it, Trent, nobody knows who the letter is going to. So when you're asking me this question, I'm just laughing because it's like, yeah, where does that letter go? If I'm <laughs> there, I know it comes to me. Yeah. But if there is no me, yeah. it, ends up, it ends up in the mail room and it ends up at the loading dock. It ends up at in supply chain. It ends up in the CEOs on the CEOs desk. It ends up at the CFOs desk. Like nobody knows where it goes, but I've seen companies pay millions of dollars because they didn't understand what it said. When it comes to like a NAFTA audit, um, is there a website or is there something that listeners can go to to understand more about the risks involved with that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, besides Google, you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Is there like a, an entity, uh, like an association that they could look at to maybe consider joining? Yeah. Like that? You would always go to your country's um, or the, the, the country of the importing party okay. or the exporting party. Um, so like if I was in Canada, I would look up, I'd have to look up the Canadian regs as well as the U S regs. And you'd go to each trade authorities website to do that. So if you're in Mexico, you're looking up your own. Mm -hmm. And then if the trade is coming from the U S you'd look at theirs as well. Okay. So when it comes to bilateral or trilateral or multilateral agreements, you need to be aware of each participating country's regulations. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of times people end up going to lawyers or, you know, the big five immediately because you're just so confused when you go to these sites. And the answer is um, often more simple than you think. Like it could be just that, you need somebody to gather all the NAFTA certificates, like um, document by document, go over all of them and just make a case. A case for? A case for why and how we're using it. Okay. Gotcha. It could be that um, you just need to build a spreadsheet or it could be that you just need to build a internal control. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. 
automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. What's, what's a common control that is missed in all of this? Incoterms. So, Incoterms? Yeah. Okay, what is that? So Incoterms is the, it's, um, it's like regulated by the International Chamber of Commerce. And they are trade or shipping terms um, used by, you know, like the same amount of countries that use um, the international trade body, um, like 188 countries. And then where you'll see INCO terms is on PO agreements, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody, absolutely like nobody knows how to use Inco terms correctly. They determine who owns the risk at what point of shipment. Okay, so the like a control would be what? A control would be building the Inco terms selection into the system. Gotcha. And or building NAFTA verbiage into the background of a contract or a PO. Okay. Because a large part of NAFTA is documentation and having it ready in case of an audit, right? Okay. So if you have it on your contracts and built in as like a boiler plate, then those are quick fixes for um, anybody with a, a system. Okay. So it sounds like most companies, most people are doing everything the right way. They just don't have it documented to show no. that it's being done the right way. Is yeah, that-, that, that could be the case. That could be the case. Okay. But I think there's a lot of people doing it blind. Okay. Keep going. There's with that. What do you mean? People doing it blind because, um, you know, I'll walk into a company that has 10,000 employees over around the world but not one person understands how they're using the NAFTA agreement, but they're all using it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I've come into companies, corporations that are using it, but yeah, you're right. They don't, they haven't documented how or why they haven't done the formulas. Okay. So, and, and that's a, a common thing we see from regulators, especially like in the U S when it comes to specifically socks and financial statement audits and the PCAOB and the rule has kind of always been if I'm speaking from the external side. So the external audit company comes in, they do the audit and then the PCAOB would come in and maybe select that audit for them to do an audit of that audit. Um, and from that, one of the findings might be, we don't see where you, the audit firm documented that you actually did this, despite the fact that you did do it. Um, so that's always, that's kind of been a theme with when taking into consideration what the PCAOB is going to look at is we have to document everything that we do when we do the audit 
so that when they review it, um, they'll know that we did it. Because the saying has always been like, if it's not documented, it hasn't been done. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So that's what I was getting at in that it sounded like people were doing the right things. They just weren't documenting it correctly or completely or maybe even accurately. Um, or they don't have a system in place. Okay. So in that case, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> if you don't have the system in place. Yeah, if you don't have, and a lot of them don't have a system in place. Okay. All right. So then for the folks that don't have a system in place, is that where you help people develop that system? Yes. Okay. I develop administration programs. Okay. You develop administration programs for NAFTA compliance or free trade compliance? Business um, practices. Um, yeah. It's, it's a really weird thing because I am, I am a different breed, I think, than a lot of other um, international trade compliance people that I've talked to in the States and in Canada. Um, because I am very operational as well as administrative. So I can document and I can talk to supply chain as well as legal or finance. Yeah, that is quite the skill set then. <laughs> yeah, and like tax accountants love me, especially like when we have like a U.S. tax accountant in Canada or a Canadian tax accountant in the U.S. They love me because I'm the only person that can understand what they're saying. <laughs> As a IT person, I can understand that. Um, I never really understood why it was so difficult sometimes like, even back when I was in college, they had this Venn diagram and it was like IT business. And then like, they always said like, we were the intersection of the two from the program I came from. And that was like the real value or some of the real value that we added was being able to communicate with both of them. And I was just like, this is the dumbest thing. What do you mean? How can you not understand, you know, like it's just two people talking about something. Like, how could you not understand it? But then I guess you kind of get wrapped up in your own silo in your own world that, Maybe you don't even want to understand. I could understand uh, somebody on the business side being like, look, IT person, I don't care. Just make it work the way I want it to work. You know, and that's, that's not, that's not gonna, that's not a good way to facilitate a conversation. It's definitely not a good way to facilitate change, but I can understand that that is, you know, the perspective that people take. No, no, no. Like, um, and I think why I really like talking to you is because you understand that and a large part of my career, I just thought of myself as a business liaison. Mm -hmm. So like a main part of what I was doing um, while building customs modules, while building um, internal controls was working with um, the developer, the IT developer. Mm -hmm. Like there was at one time there was two IT developers for every business person in my group. Nice. Yeah. So whatever I needed built, I would talk to Trent or somebody like him. I say, this is what I need. This is why. And then it got built. And I think that's what the issue is in my industry right now is that all 
the big consulting firms are looking for people that can code as well as handle audits. Yeah. And you can't find them. There's not a lot of them. So the other thing is, um, you know, having supply chain optimization systems or GPS, like global uh, G global trade systems. Mm-hmm. So actually implemented into your like SAP, Oracle, whatever, right? Or your your uh, standalone system. Um, but nobody can do it because they're not talking to the right people because the trade function, as you've been trying to investigate through this conversation, there's no one person you can go to to figure it out. And there's nobody that understands the regs, the business practicality, mm-hmm. and the theory to you know document it, to have the methodology so that a regulator coming into audit is going to be like, mm, yeah, I can buy that. No, I don't buy this. Sorry, million dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the regulators, when they come in, they're they're talking to like in a sophisticated company, the regulators are going to be coming to the compliance folks. Is that right? Oh, huge. They'll be looking at um, ERP, data analytics, um, graphs, like big data. When we talk about data, holy cow. Mm. Like customs data is probably one of the largest universes I know to exist wow. of data. I know before we started recording, we were talking about a, a use case anyway. So is there like a, is there a use case of non-compliance within trading yeah. that you could speak There's to? There's a use case of in petroleum and in oil because of that um, diluent. So when it comes out, of, when oil comes out of the ground, it's like a hockey puck. Mm-hmm and you need to mix it and a certain process needs to happen before it's it turns into molasses and then it makes its way down a pipeline at five miles an hour or in a train car um with uh you know 600 barrels at a time in a train car and like up to 2,000 barrels in a batch of a pipeline and it's just all commingled, right? When you're in a pipeline, you're all commingled. You can't tell whose is whose, what's is what's. It all happens through swaps and trades. Um, well, in Canada and the US and North America, um, all of the oil is pretty much like all of the, sorry, all of the transportation liquid. So the stuff that makes it move, mm-hmm. you have to mix it in with a puck to get it to this molasses all of the stuff that moves through our pipelines is um, mixed with diluent that comes from refineries. And so usually it's um, the diluent is made in U.S. refineries, some of it Canada, but predominantly U.S. because this is where all the refineries are, right? Um, it it, the, the whole pool got contaminated in North America because one, one company decided that they would get their um, uh, diluent from a Latin American con- country that wasn't part of NAFTA. 
So you have a large or a significant volume of this liquid now being mixed with the oil that needs to move. Um, the whole industry kind of like had to do a shake of their head and a rethink of the whole NAFTA process after this audit came about. And it was a Canadian major um, being audited by a US authority on the basis of NAFTA. So it was a NAFTA verification. And it basically said, hey, you are using the NAFTA agreement, but you also have imported diluent from another country outside of NAFTA and have mixed it into the supply. So now we're looking at your NAFTA certificates and how much volume that was that you mixed in and how many NAFTA certificates you issued your counterparties. Because every time there's a swap or a trade, um, you're using NAFTA behind it to get away from paying that extra duty. Now, besides oil spill tax and all the other duties and taxes that you have to pay, um, that duty can be quite significant. And when it comes to, um, you know, the government authorities being able to penalize you and get that money, they're going to get it. So what happened was the entire daisy chain of suppliers, everybody that was trading oil in the North America was basically being audited from that one case. And like, that was huge. You know, the, I recall the result of that, like financially or fees that were applied or anything like that. Okay. So I'm not sure if it's public knowledge, but no. I have opportunity to lay eyes on um, all of the documentation that came after it. Mm -hmm. um, but the penalties were not high after it had been litigated, but that was after the company spent gazillions, millions on a lawyer from DC. And so, if they had the appropriate controls in place, this wouldn't have happened. Right. They would have, they would have avoided. It was basically, I would say it, it happened in, it happened in 2010. The audit was announced. I was hired in 2012 and the process in place to clean it all up ended in 2014. So it was a four year long audit and cleanup. And I was only brought in partway through. The, the penalties that they um, had to pay were like nothing, but the lawyer's fees, whoa. Yeah. That's something. Okay. I think that they might've been in a better place if they had just paid the penalties. Hey, we are getting close to the end. I think we've hit like everything outside of um, this one. So like, who do you typically work with and how could they get in touch with you if a listener 
uh, needs to understand more about NAFTA or, or trade agreements and what the risks are and what maybe they should be doing specifically within their company? Um, is that someone you typically work with? And uh, if so, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, get in touch with me and I can lead you to the resources. Okay. Or there's like the trade commissioner in your city. Um, there's a lot of free resources out there that people should be checking into be before they go to like pricier options. And a lot of them don't know that. Um, and I'm happy to give you the resources so you can do your reading. Um, lately, how you get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. I've developed a business page. Um, but I don't have my address or my phone number listed. Like number one, I'm moving around all the time. Yeah. And number two, just for personal safety reasons, right? Yeah. My thinking is that if you need me, you're likely gonna get my number or my name from somebody I know, one of my trusted contacts, somebody's that you, somebody that has used me before. And yeah, people don't just hire um, trade compliance people off the street. Yeah. <laughs> I've never known that to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's a referral based. Type yeah. Of I've never known that to happen. It doesn't happen. And then uh, people need to think of me this way. Like she's Benita Lee. She speaks customies. She works on a contract basis, mostly remotely, but has no problem traveling to your site to speak to your executives, your supply chain, your sales and marketing teams, lawyers, vendors, counterparties, tax and finance people. And I have really strong opinions about things that I'm happy to share. Awesome. The best part about being um, in an advisory role is that you get to like dole out delicious morsels of information and people can take it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> but they pay the price. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Is there any uh, last words that you want to share? Yeah, I have a customs compliance professional joke for you okay <laughs> i've never ended on a joke before go ahead um well you come up with good auditor ones so oh uh, yeah that was like the basis of our relationship right i forgot yeah. about that on linkedin yeah, like I I some audit. and then um i don't know like what you did really like spoke to me because i was like oh my gosh here's an auditor he knows what i do <laughs> um, all right so what's your what's your joke my joke is it's not really a joke, more that it's more a story, but it's like the funniest story that I can think of that I think would make um, some people laugh. But okay. um, every week I would have um, conversations with our US broker and our Canadian broker. And I mean, we were friends. Um, you get to know your broker really well. And I was, that was when Canada didn't have um, cherry Coke. Like it, somebody took it out of distribution. Who knows why it didn't sell in Canada, but I needed my cherry Coke <laughs> and I was willing to do anything. So we're on a customs call and we're talking about trade. And she says to me, um, Hey, I got your cherry Coke. Or no, I got your Coke over the border. 
And I'm just waiting for a time to bring it to you at the office. And I'm like, okay, great. And like her boss and my boss were, were, just, were just like, what the? Flipping out. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So did you, I'm guessing you got your cherry Coke? Yeah. See, that's funny because I don't know if you've known this or recognize this. And I don't know if Houston is really, they're not really considered like the South, you know, like Alabama is the South. Uh, Mississippi is the South and Houston, like, we're, you know, similar cultures, but are doubt, or sorry, geez, Texas, similar cultures, but um, like in Alabama, anyway, everything is a Coke. So if you go to a restaurant and they say, what do you want? You say Coke and they'll say, right. even, even if they serve Pepsi and they'll say, yeah, do you want a Pepsi? And like, yeah, that's fine. That's a Coke. So like, we don't call it soda. We don't call it pop, uh, except my, everything's Coke. Everything is a Coke. So uh, the, I, I, if I would have been in that room, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're talking about Coke. I don't, I don't get the big deal, but <laughs> I can understand if, if Right. Uh, hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.